Police 10-7. It's been in the media a lot recently since Auckland councillor Afeso Collins stated, Police 10-7 feeds into racial stereotypes all the way back in March. Now on the least surprising news of 2021, this was met with a lot of pushback from the people who choose to commit those crimes deserve to be on the show mob or my favorite comment from jared who said i don't think the show determines the race of the offenders which i mean is technically correct they don't find an offender and literally tell them what their ethnicity is but this is still a very rudimentary analysis of the show and of criminal offending in new zealand Police 107 has been accused of being racist, however beyond that, I want to unpack the significant impact that the show is having on our social perceptions of policing, of criminal behaviour, and of people. Yes, the show may be racist, but it's more than that. Okay now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you switch off to another episode, it's me, Tabby. I mean, my entire personality is based on seeing events through a race lens, so of course that will be part of the episode, but ultimately... Through this two-part exploration into some of New Zealand's fine policing, I am to answer the following question. How does Police 107 impact our perceptions of crime, criminal fending, and the police? So without further ado, grab yourself a cup of your favourite warm beverage, and let's unpack. Now I'm just going to put it out there off top. I want to give a massive good morning to Gabrielle Podvoyskis. Gabrielle has actually completed an entire master's thesis titled Real Cops, exploring the representation of policing on Police 107, and this entire document is ultimately the backbone for this episode, so I cannot thank you enough, Gabrielle. Can we get some poetry snaps for that, please? No, no, no. You listening at home, poetry snap. Yes, you. Thank you. Thank you. Gabrielle analyzed the entire 2010 season of Police 107, that being all 15 episodes. So I want to start this episode slightly differently, you know, innovation in that. Let's start off with a quiz. Which New Zealand slash Australian TV show has had the most seasons? Is it A, Shortland Street, B, Police 107, C, Home and Away Australia, or D, Outrageous Fortune? And the answer? C, Home and Away, with a whopping 34 seasons. In second place, Shoreland Street with 30. And the topic of today's episode, Police 107 with 24. And your reward if you got that correct? You can all head to Unpackings on Instagram, like our page, and subscribe, and all of that. Thank you, thank you, and congrats. And aside from the selfless promo, this was an exercise to show you that Police 107 is literally part of New Zealand culture. The award-winning show aims to give watchers a glimpse into the real working lives of New Zealand police. It does that, or at least aims to, by dividing the show into two sections, the ride-along section and the wanted section. But just before you get into the actual crime fighting, we're introduced to Graham Bell. Now, Graham is pivotal for the entire franchise. He vehemently refuted allegations of any racism, stating that we don't pick who commits a crime, the people who commit the crime select themselves. But then he later went on to say, it's very difficult not to develop a slight attitude to a group of people that are constantly offending. People wear labels unconsciously. I can spot a criminal from a hundred yards away, and people say I'm biased in my point of view. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your pickets down, stop typing, hashtag cancel, Graham Bell on Twitter. The reason why I bring this up, aside from warming up your Twitter fingers, is to essentially find a way to get this clip into the episode, not gonna lie. I just wanted you guys to hear it. So behold, the way suspects are introduced. 
behind a group of murderous thugs. Two young creeps, a half-wit with a gun, a false beard and a turban. A mindless lowlife, two vicious morons, two armed and violent mongrels, three stooges, three desperate and wild-eyed gutless goons, three vicious apes, two fat women and a man with a gun. This scruffy little thug, this little germ, lunatic scumbag with a steak knife. I'll be looking for more help. I'm sorry for playing that horrific video. I know that I'm probably 70% of the views on it, but I'm just honestly shocked that that was aired on national TV and people were seemingly okay with it. But it also underlines a really pivotal point. It shines light on the underbelly of how New Zealanders view suspects and offenders. Before we've even seen them, before we've even seen them on the screen or know what they've allegedly done, refer to them as minus lowlifes, vicious morons, armed and violent mongrels. And we're seeing this solely through police lens without any contextual understanding as to what has happened. And I'm not even going to go into the racial lens of that phrasing. You can unpack that yourself for a bit of homework. But I wanted to start this dissection with that framing. Because regardless of what you see next on the show, Graham has anchored the idea that people who commit crime are worthy of being name-called, of being described as germs, goons, and mongrels. And this is classic us-versus-them tactics employed by Bell. It positions the police as a unique, distinct group solely responsible for protecting society against them. It can be argued as a function to delineate us, the lazy people at home, and them, those young, ethnic minority, violent and dangerous offenders, who are not only different from us, but are presented as naive and inadequate, gutless and callous thugs. There is no discussion of the social context associated with the offending. Offenders are presented as a deviant population with predictable and unpleasant traits. But enough of that fancy language, we both know what's coming next. I am Mr. Steel, your statistic for a reason. So get your calculator out and let's crunch some numbers. Now, while I buy a few whiteboard pens and markers from the dairy down the road, enjoy this little ad. You're listening to an episode from Unpack's Coffee Break series. In this series, we dissect topics that may not make the cut for a full episode. If you're listening to this, we decided to share this one on public listening platforms, but we've got so many more waiting for you if you become a patron. Now, Patreon gives you access to other Coffee Break episodes, Instagram Q&As, cheaper merchandise, our Good Morning series where we touch on more of our personal lives, and so much more. Membership starts at less than $2 a month, and you can head to our website, unpacknz.com, to find out more. But for now, I'll let you get back to the episode. Okay, cool. I'm back. Now, where were we? Okay, yes, the numbers. Now, they're pretty hard-hitting, especially for our Maori and Pacifica communities. So if you're not in a place to hear this, pause the episode and come back at a time when you are. Now, these statistics are all from the gem that is Gabrielle and their thesis. So on Police 107, Maori and Pacific Islanders are depicted as violent offenders more often than New Zealand Europeans. While Pākehā were most commonly involved in traffic or drug and antisocial offending, Māori and Pacific Islanders dominated crimes involving violence. Approximately 50% of all offences featuring Pacific Island offenders involve violence on Police 107. However, according to the apprehension stats of that time, being 2010, only 30% of apprehensions of Pacific Island offenders actually included violence. Similarly, in the ride-along section of Police 107, 36% of offending by Māori was considered violent, while stats in Z apprehension stats show that in 2010 only 23% of offending involved violence. 
Now in the wanted section, which involves more serious offending, and specifically included violent offences, Pacifica were significantly overrepresented. The overall picture of the ride-along and the wanted section overrepresents violent offending significantly by Māori and Pacific Island offenders, while underrepresenting offending by NZ Europeans. Gabrielle also analyzes the rates at which different ethnicities are portrayed in the on-screen roles of police officers or criminal suspects. Here, 75% of New Zealand Europeans were portrayed as police officers rather than offenders, but the majority of Māori, 85%, and Pacific Island individuals, 80%, were portrayed as offenders. Taking a look at the police, the number of police who were Pākehā was 89% of the ones we saw on screen, and that's quite significantly overrepresenting the actual population of Pākehā police officers. According to NZ Police, only 73% of all New Zealand police officers identify as NZ European. Okay, let's take a breath and then breathe out. Okay, now we can continue. The main result of the significant overrepresentation of Māori and Pacific Islanders in violent offending, while also simultaneously underrepresenting Pākehā, is the message that non-white offenders are more dangerous, while white offenders are more commonly involved in traffic, drug, and antisocial offences, which are perceived to be less dangerous and less threatening to society. In doing this, Police 107 implies that both Māori and Pacific Islanders are in fact more dangerous and more threatening to society. And when you contextualise this with the overrepresentation of NZ European officers in Police 107, it paints a picture of a white policeman heroically saving the nation from violent Māori and Pacific Island offenders. Still unconvinced? Let's ask the police officers themselves. In a survey of police officers, one in four officers stated that they had negative attitudes about Māori. Two-thirds of these officers reported having heard fellow officers using racist language, and in which one-third reported having a greater tendency to be more suspicious of Māori than non-Māori. Now, this is just extremely problematic off-bat, but you also need to remember that these are the people who not only created the law, but also enforce the law. Now, taking a look at this excerpt from the thesis by Gabrielle, they say that police are encouraged to see themselves as crime fighters, with many officers seeing Māori as being part of the crime problem. They're more likely to suspect Māori of offences, and in turn, more likely to stop and search them. So to break that down, when police officers came into contact with suspects who were Māori, they were already at an automatic disadvantage. As Gabrielle puts it, policing is largely dictated by officers' perception of what constitutes suspicious activities, and that stereotyping and prejudice on part of police officers can easily lead to harassment and community resentment, especially as police are encouraged to see themselves as individual crime fighters. Okay, okay, now before you Molotov cocktail the TVNZ officers in rage, please note that this survey was completed in 1998. Now I'm as pessimistic as they come, but I wager that there are some improvement in those statistics. We do have to be fair, right? Wait, do we? No, yes, we do. But even after reading those horrible stats, Graham's points still echo in the back of my mind. We don't, we don't pick, pick those, those who commit crime. crime. Well, what do they pick? In Gabrielle's research, they discuss the symbiotic relationship between the police and the producers. From the thesis itself, because the police consent to their cooperation, they presumably have the ability to veto any footage which would not reflect well on the police. 
Now, historically, media have operated in the role where they function to expose malpractice and misconduct. However, as Gabrielle puts it, new police media collaborators, such as reality-based television, alter the dynamics of this relationship and require the media to dispense with any journalistic objectivity and independence. Now, as a result of the TV producer's dependence on police to shape the show, it can lead them to almost internalizing pro-police values, resulting ultimately in the media facilitating a biased and harmful view of a particular ethnic minority group. But let's take a step back. It's not all bad, right? I mean, regardless of the potentially problematic nature of the show, Police 7 does broadcast criminal activity to a wider audience, especially in the wanted section. Many, many criminals have been found, which ultimately, if you want to argue, could be a net positive, yes. Although if that was the case, it wouldn't make sense to have the ride along section as two-thirds of the show, right? Anyway, anyway, don't be ridiculous, Tabby. In the thesis, Gabrielle argues, policing is very public and highly scrutinized. Perceptions of policing can easily be influenced by television. Now this awareness of the potential influence of television specifically, and media in general, combined with the finding that policing is most often experienced through second-hand and mass-mediated experiences makes for something to ponder. I mean, think about it. I imagine the majority of people listening haven't had intimate personal experience or interaction with the police. A lot of our views are actually framed from media, for better or for worse. So it makes sense when Gabrielle suggests that Police may view reality-based programs as an effective way of providing symbolic reassurances to the public. I mean, this is typically achieved by demonstrating the visibility and effectiveness of police, and importantly, by serving as a vehicle for the presentation of a controlled image. These statements highlight the extent to which police strategically and knowingly weaponize the media to further their own agenda. They understand the importance placed on the promotion and good public relations, both internationally and locally. And it suggests that the overrepresentation of specific offence types with high resolution rates could be part of an effort by police to project the right image. Resolution rates. What exactly are they? So that's the rate at which the police were able to resolve an incident, either by arresting an offender, warning them, or fining them. No crime story in the ride-along section depicted police as unsuccessful, giving the police a 100% clearance rate. The actual clearance rate in 2010-2011? 47.3%. The show aims to portray policing as universally successful, despite significant and repeated evidence otherwise. So to be fair to Graham, in some way he could be correct. Maybe they don't all sit in a room and discuss, okay fellas, we want a Māori offender here who committed a violent crime. Then we want a Pacific offender here committing a robbery, and old mate Nigel from down the road, he's a stag dude this weekend, so we'll have him in his mankini for a bit of a laugh. And truthfully, the producers don't even need to have these crude conversations. Our analysis has shown that the systemic bias built into Police 107's portrayal of policing automatically buys into these racialized narratives. And to me, this is just a symptom of how racism plays itself out in New Zealand. It's in the systems, the institutions, and policies around us, so individuals don't have to use derogatory language or racial slurs to be seen as racist. So someone can hide behind a keyboard and say, they didn't racially abuse you, so how is it racist? It's been built in and baked into every step of the way. Because in a society of systematic disadvantage, economic oppression, and colonization, where Graham admitted officers may have a bias towards certain groups, 
where individualistic, following your hunch policing is encouraged, where production companies want the most exciting TV, where police ultimately have final veto ability on the show and have a professional incentive to enforce punitive punishment, how are we ultimately surprised by this? But does this actually benefit the police? Does this overrepresentation of Māori and Pacificaan offending benefit or hinder them? They seemingly want to recruit a more diverse range of officers, so would I sign up to a job when I'm depicted as someone being arrested and not actually doing any of the arresting? Look, the New Zealand Strategic Plan of 2010 specifically acknowledges the importance of projecting a positive public image, stating that this has a positive impact on trust and confidence in the police. By communicating the good news stories, by being visible, we send clear messages which will strengthen support for police. So while there may be good news stories for my New Zealand European friends, how about my Māori friends? My friends from the Pacific. In this episode, I looked at the representation of policing and society on Police 107. In part 2, a Patreon exclusive, we'll take a look at what impact this actually has on the police. Thanks for listening. Stay sanitized, stay safe, stay sexy.